take a short break from our chronology this week and next week and the week after of course we're going to be approaching Palm Sunday next Sunday and then Easter Sunday the week after so this morning is a bit of a transition shall we say out of Solomon and and into Lent and to start that I want to ask a question do any of you have multiples of something but one particular favourite Multiples of something, but one particular favourite. And I don't want us to think about our children <laughs> in this context. Maybe you have many children and one favourite. And when I was a teacher, I taught multiple children, but I always had some favourites. I know that you're not meant to say that as a teacher, but when I was a teacher, I did have favourites in my classes. But let's bring it out of that context and, and, and play safe, perhaps. Let's say you have numerous pairs of shoes, but there is one particular pair that, that are distinct and different. They're set apart from all the others. Maybe there's other things you can relate to. Let's get beyond shoes. If not shoes, perhaps a, a musical instrument. For me, I've got a few guitars in, in my collection. The collection sounds very grand, it's not that grand. But there's one guitar that I would always gravitate towards every single time, and it's probably one of the cheapest ones that I bought, actually. Um, but there's something distinctive about it that draws me back to it time and time again. Now, that isn't to say that we, we don't have an appreciation for everything that we have, but often there is something that just makes one particular item stand out and set apart. So we're going to take that, that as an idea and we're going to move into the Word this morning as we transition out of the chronological and into Lent and Easter. And we're going to start by looking, uh, of course, at Solomon. And we're going to just settle in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8, just for a brief moment, we're going to read a small portion of 1 Kings chapter 8. Now in this moment, Solomon is, is blessing the and praying for and blessing the new temple that has been created. As the temple is dedicated, Solomon then blesses it and, and challenges the people. So 1 Kings 8 verses 54 to 61, the word of God says, When Solomon finished praying his entire prayer and petitioned to the Lord, he got up from kneeling before the altar of the Lord with his hands spread out towards heaven. And he stood and blessed the whole congregation of Israel with a loud voice. Blessed be the Lord. He has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has said. Not one of all the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us. 
so that he causes us to be devoted to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, statutes and ordinances which he commanded our ancestors. May my words with which I have made my petition before the Lord be near the Lord our God day and night. May uphold his servant's cause and the cause of all his people Israel, as each day requires. May all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commands as it is today. So here we have in this moment Solomon's prayer and it it speaks of God's faithful love over his personal possession. When we go back to what we've been talking about over the months, over the past really year and three months, about how God has a personal possession and that is his people. Out of all the nations of all the earth, he chose to have a personal possession. And And in this prayer, we have thanksgiving, we have petition, we have the repeated command, and then something seemingly out of place. Let's just look at those those four aspects for a brief moment. First of all, the thanksgiving. Blessed be the Lord. He has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has said. Not one of all the good promises he made through his servant Moses has failed. So, So here you have Solomon giving praise to God because God has been faithful in all the things that he said he would do through Moses, to Moses and through uh, the subsequent generations. And that primarily is the, the land as a possession, the establishing of a nation in the land and the success and victory that has come through that. And then you go on to the petition. Verse 57, may the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he not abandon us or leave us. And that petition is is asked, yes, but it's asked in confidence because the preceding verse talks about God's faithfulness. And then verse 58, so may he not abandon us or leave us so that he causes us to be devoted to him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commands, statutes and ordinances which he commanded our ancestors. So there's that, in a sense, the the repeated command that has come generation to generation and which David challenged Solomon to embrace and to uphold and that is that they be devoted to God to walk in all his ways and to keep his commands, statutes and ordinances. So again, that reminder that that wasn't just for Solomon, but that was for all of Israel, all of God's personal possession. And then we have something seemingly out of place. The subsequent portion of this, if we look at verse 60 together, uh, now the shift happens in this moment, and it's a shift that seems out of place, but actually it's not out of place. The shift in focus is from us, that is Solomon and the people of Israel, to them, people beyond. It says, may all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God, there is no other. So there's a shift from thanksgiving then petition, then repeated command, and then the shift from us 
to them, from the near to the far. And, and then it comes full circle again. Solomon challenges his people, but also not just his people. This is a, a general statement. Be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commands as it is today. So incredible little portion there. And what I love about God's word is that quite often, even just these little portions can teach us so much about what it is to walk with God and walk in faith. What we see here as well is that God's love, even even back in Solomon's day, could not be restricted or limited or contained simply to his personal possession. When Solomon shifts his focus here from, from the personal possession, from the us, to the them, that is the nations, he's, he's doing it because that was one of the main reasons Israel existed. It existed to be a light unto the nations. And so God's love, even then, couldn't be restricted or limited or contained to Israel. It was bigger than that. It was greater. It was not just for them. And and importantly, and this is what I want us to kind of draw out today as we approach this time of Lent and, and of course, Easter, God's love was not simply one-dimensional. Here's a question for you, and I want this to challenge you as it challenges me, how we how we communicate God's love and how we phrase it and frame it. Have you ever found yourself saying, God loves you just the way you are? Or, God's love is unconditional. I want to encourage us to exercise caution when we go to say those phrases. When we say, God loves you just the way you are. Or, or God's love is unconditional. And I want, us to urge, I, want, I want to urge caution and encourage us to think about how we use those phrases, especially when speaking to people beyond uh, the faith, beyond the church, beyond the body of Christ. Just to exercise a bit of caution, because there's a nuance to the truth of God's love. And that nuance is something that we are reminded of every year as we approach the cross of Calvary. That God doesn't love humanity just the way it is. That God doesn't love everyone completely unconditionally. That the fullness and the fullest expression of God's love is only found within the conditions and parameters that he has set. So what are these nuances that we're going to think about this morning as we approach this time of of Lent and, of course, Easter? Well, I'll let two significant voices of the church contribute here. R.C. Sproul, who has gone to be with the Lord, and and John Piper, who is still with us as a teacher in, in the church, in the Big C Church. Two people speaking to, to this particular issue in something that I would summarise as God is love, God does love, and God loves his own. And that each of these are, are connected and yet they are distinct. Each of them are connected and yet they are distinct. God is love, God does love, and God loves his own. And, and when we regard them carefully, 
we guard against undermining the need for Calvary and the necessity of the death of Jesus Christ. And as we approach Easter together, it's important for us to once again embrace the gravity of the moment. So R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul would put it this way. But I would say God is love, God does love, and God loves his own. R.C. Sproul would put it in a much more eloquent way, of course, and he would say that that there is there are three dynamics to God's love, that God operates in benevolent love, that God operates in beneficent love, and also God operates in the love of complacency. And that's a word that is a very um, different meaning in this context to how we would think about the idea of being complacent. We would see complacent as very negative, but this established traditional phrase, God's love of complacency, means something different. We're going to come to that in a minute. But let's look at the first one. God operates in benevolent love. That God, by his very nature, is love. He is benevolent. That's who he is. It's part of the fabric and the substance of who he is. 1 John 4, verse 16, that God is love. That incredible declaration that we all know. So that is the benevolent love. That is his nature. Then there's the beneficent dynamic, the beneficent love, that that there are acts that flow from his nature that benefit others, that benefit people. So the beneficent love of God, acts that flow from his nature. For example, that God causes the rain and the sun to fall or shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. God, Jesus is saying this very truth, that God causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. How do we define righteous and unrighteous? Well, we don't define it in the sense, well, I've been behaving and you've not been behaving. Or, I've been misbehaving and you've been behaving, therefore I am one and you are the other. No, the context of Scripture, the context of God's kingdom and God's family is that we are righteous through faith and we are unrighteous when we are outside of faith. So so God's beneficent love impacts Everybody, the righteous, those that are in faith, and the unrighteous, those that are beyond the faith, because things just naturally flow from his nature and his character. And then that last one, this idea of love of complacency, which again, we have a negative uh, connotation with that word complacency, but let me unpack it in what it means in this context. That God's love of complacency means that he has a special love for specific people. So yes, he is love. God is love. Yes, he does love. God pours out the rain and lets the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. Whether you're in relationship with God or not, you benefit to some degree because things will flow from God's nature and his character. And we have that just with 
creation, with breath in our lungs. They are examples of the beneficent love of God. And that dynamic, finally, the love of complacency, that he has a special love for specific people, which we will unpack in a moment. All three are connected, but they are connected with distinction. And I want us just to focus on that again as we, like I said, as we as we guard against undermining the need for Calvary and the necessity of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. So where do we see this most clearly laid out in Scripture? This is where John Piper would come in. There's an excellent short video on YouTube if you want to tune into that at some point. And it's quite simply looking at this dynamic of how do we understand God's love for everyone? Well, where do we see this uh, played out or laid out most clearly in God's word? You won't be surprised that actually we're going to turn to John 3.16. But we're not just going to read John 3.16. We're going to read John 3.16 to 21. Because I think quite often we, we can finish simply rest on John 3.16, but actually we have to have the full story, and the full story is 16 to 21. So let's look at that. And I want you to listen for the three aspects of God's love in this. Remember, God is love, that the benevolent, the dynamic of his nature, that God is love, that God does love, that the beneficent dynamic, that is that things will flow from God's nature to all people because uh, this is his world. He created it. He, he, He established the boundaries of how the world was going to operate and work. And therefore, every single person, whether you're in faith or you're beyond the faith, you're going to get some dynamic of benefit from being here. So the benevolent, beneficent and lastly the love of complacency and that is specific love or special love for specific people so let's hear john three sixteen to 21 i'm reading from the csb as i as i always do the csb we might say would phrase john three sixteen perhaps differently to what you're used to we've talked about this before but just for the, if you haven't heard why they phrased it this way then let me explain. Your Bible might say, if you don't have a CSB, it might say, for God so loved the world. And and that's become such a well-established verse and, and it makes us feel warm and comforted. This idea that such is the gravity of God's love that he did what he did. And there is a degree of truth in that. But the, the CSB w- would argue that the actual accurate translation is, for God loved the world in this way. It's a thus so. He did it in this manner. For God so loved the world. He did it in this way. So it's it's a, it's a leading statement to say, here is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. 
This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So as we hear those words, can you hear the the benevolent love of God, that God is love? Can you hear the beneficent love of God, that there are things that flow out of that character and nature of God? And then can you hear the love of complacency, the special love for specific people? Let's think about this idea of God's nature then. The fact that love flows from God shows us that God's nature is love. For God loved the world in this way. Something that's flowing from him. So it's part of the fabric of who he is. What about this beneficent love of God? Well, it says that God loved the world. There is a general statement of intent there. That he loved the world. We're not getting specific yet. So here is that dynamic of there is a love that is is made available, that is made available, that is accessible by every single person in the world. But here is the here is the love of complacency. This is where we start to get specific and we start to understand the conditional dynamic of God's love. And that's why when we say things like God loves you just the way you are, or God's love is unconditional. We have to step back and say, well, actually, there are conditions to God's, to the fullness of God's love. What are those conditions? Well, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son. There you are, that's what he did. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There is the the love of complacency. There is the dynamic of it's being narrowed down and it's being uh, framed in a conditional way. That there has to be a response. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Then again, that flows from God's nature. That flows out to who? The world. Anyone. And here we have a shift again, back to the love of complacency. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So yes, the world uh, is is in God's view when he pours out this, this offer of redemption. There is the the uh, benevolent the benevolent operating in the beneficent but we get specific there are people who are not going to be in the love of god forever the eternal dynamic of love that god is offering will not be offered forever available forever because there are people who right now if they have not chosen to respond and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, it says here, they are already condemned. God's love 
is not one-dimensional. God's love is, is nuanced. And the reason that I wanted to just rest on that very truth is as we approach Easter Sunday, as we approach the celebration, but we, we walk to the cross first, we remember why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross because God wanted to demonstrate his love to the world, but prompt the world to to reflect on that offer of, of grace and mercy and redemption and respond to it. And as the word says here, quite simply, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Verse 21, anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light. So as we approach Easter Sunday, journeying through the cross, we're conscious to remember the necessity of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And I want to encourage us, as I will encourage myself, to guard against undermining its necessity by how we view God's love. And and to close our, our time together, we're going to go to John chapter 16 and 17. We're going to read just a, sh- a few short verses here. Because as Jesus is preparing himself to step into this, this uh, passion narrative that we know, this moment of preparing himself to lay down his life, let's have a look at chapter 16 together. Verse 27 only verse 27. Jesus talking to his his disciples, he says this, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus simply is saying, God loves you because you love me. So here is the specific love for, for specific people that flows from God. God loved the world, yes, but there's a different level of love. We might say a fullness of God's love that comes only because of a relationship with Christ. Let me read it again. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from you. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. There's only one way to God and only one way into eternity with God and that is through Jesus Christ. So as we approach the the period of Lent and as we approach Palm Sunday and as we approach Easter Sunday, it's so important for us to once again remember the, the gravity and the weight of this moment, the necessity of Jesus laying down his life 
so that we might live. Now that changes our perspective. Even as believers now, we once again can come before the throne of heaven with a, with a renewed sense of gratitude for the cross. But also it reminds us that people need to come to know the fullness of the love of God. Not just that the sun shines and the rain falls. Not just that they have health and a breath in their lungs and that they have a substance of something to hold on to. But no, there is more to the love of God, the fullness of God's love. The fullest expression of God's love is only found in coming to know Jesus Christ. And so as we reflect upon the next few weeks, my prayer is that that would move us once again to reach out to those that are around us, to seek opportunity for God to use us for his kingdom's sake. Listen to a podcast recently, and it was an interview with a man called Scott McNamara. The podcast is called Inspired, and uh, the title of this podcast in particular is called Jesus at the Door by Scott McNamara. And it's this conversation with Scott about how he understood the, the heart of evangelism and the simple dynamic that I took from it, which I loved, was this picture that Scott shares. And he shares that as he was understanding what it was to evangelize, he understood most, more fully and most fully that it was a partnership with God and that God was at work in the community when he stepped out into it. And he heard this simple phrase from God. He said, you share and I will shake. You share and I will shake. And that was in the context of, if you imagine walking through an orchard, imagine that our communities are orchards and that maybe each little pocket in our community is a tree. And that every person in that pocket of the community is an apple on that tree. And, and sometimes apples are ripe just to be, to be picked or even to fall. They fall from the tree onto the ground. And, and what Scott was saying was that his job was to walk in the orchard and be willing to reach out a hand ready to catch the apple that was falling. Uh, let's take it out of that and put it back on the ground on the street. As he is walking the streets, he needs to be willing to share something of Jesus. As he shares, God will shake. God will shake that tree and the apples that are ready to fall will fall. There are people in our community right now that are ready to fall from the tree and be received into God's hand. And so let's get out there. Let's let's share and let God shake. And, and let's do it remembering the necessity of the gospel, that, that people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be restored to God and have life eternal. Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you for the chance to open your word and just think about this foundational, basic concept before we look to Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday once again. We thank you, God, for the words that were recorded in 1 Kings that Solomon spoke. The reminder that Israel existed for the nations, that it was called to be a light into the world and that his longing and your longing, God, is that all would come to know you. And therefore, you demonstrate your love for the world in this way by sending your son because of your nature and because of the things that flow from your nature, God. We benefit and we give you thanks, but we're conscious, God, that our response matters. So, Father, help us to be more grateful, perhaps, for the salvation that you have given us. Move us to praise once again, Father, for all that you've done. Bring to remembrance, as Solomon declared, all the good things you'd done for the people of Israel, all the promises fulfilled that you spoke to Moses, evidence in our life of your goodness. But also, God, help us to to walk in the orchard and be willing to share as you shake those trees. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.